0: Pray with me as we continue in worship. Lord God, thank you so much for this chance to be together in the new year as a church. Thank you for the chance to come and worship you. And Lord, thank you for your love for us. Lord, I pray that you would just be present, continue to be present in this place this morning and that we would all come face to face with who you are. Lord, may anything that's of me be quickly forgotten this morning and anything that's of you stick to our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are starting a new series this morning in the new year. We're going to be looking at the heart of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is a book of the Old Testament. And, you know, who was Jeremiah? Well, he was the weeping prophet, as he was known as. And you might say, that's a weird thing to be called. But as I had to look her up, as Leslie Gore, the the songwriter who wrote um, It's My Party and I'll Cry If I Want To, her famous line, you would cry too if it happened to you. Um, I think if we understood the life and the times of Jeremiah, we could all kind of say there's a reason that maybe he had a lot to cry about. Uh, Jeremiah lived through a really, really difficult time in Israel's history. He was a prophet to the kingdom of Jerusalem. He was a prophet to the kingdom of Judah. And in that time, the kingdom fell. He was a young man who kind of warned people again and again, if we don't turn from our ways, our enemies are going to come and they're going to take down our city. And his cries fell on deaf ears. In fact, not just deaf ears, but he had a lot of resistance. Jeremiah experienced some pretty rough things. He got thrown in a well where he was left to die until someone kind of rescued him. He was put in prison and the king palace, and they kind of took the writings of Jeremiah, the things he had been teaching to the people, and they, would, they read it line by line, and as they read it, they would cut the line with a knife and throw it into the fire to show how much disdain they had for the things he was saying to the people. So, I mean, he was... He had some reasons to be upset that the people were going out of their way to not really listen to the things he was saying. At one point, he was kidnapped and taken to Egypt after saying, don't go make an alliance with Egypt. They said, not only are we going to go, but we're going to make sure you come with us so you look complicit in this whole thing. So Jeremiah had some rough things kind of happen in his life. But he, he served through, he was called as a young man, as a very young man. So we think, I think of Jeremiah as an old guy with a beard. You know, and I think that's probably what we all picture him as. And at one point he was that in his life. But when he first started his ministry, he was a young person. God comes to him and says, "Jeremiah, I knew you before you were born. I saw you in your mother's womb, and I've set you apart to be a messenger to the nation. And I'm said, I'm calling you to do this." And he says, "I'm too young." I'm too young for that kind of responsibility. Some of us can probably relate to that. And then as he goes on years and years and years, he probably started to say, I'm too old to put up with all this. But he he carried that burden his whole life. You know, he spanned the reigns of three kings and through the fall of Jerusalem. Three kings came and went while Jeremiah continued to each new king, each new set of leadership. He called to change our ways as a nation. We've got to turn back. And each king ignored him in progressively hostile ways. And this is the life of Jeremiah. This is the guy we're going to kind of be looking at, the book that he wrote. He wrote two books. He wrote the book of Jeremiah, and he wrote the book of Lamentations. Uh, Again, Lamentations means, like, to weep. So, I mean, he's true to his name, the weeping prophet. Uh, Jeremiah, the book, was written, really, most of it was written before the fall of Jerusalem. And so we're going to kind of unpack that a little bit. Lamentations was written. It was the words that he felt as he watched his city burn, as he got carried off into captivity. So he had to feel the pain of the very thing he had been trying to get people to prevent the entire time that he lived. But Jeremiah, the book, I've realized, I was just kind of reading it on my own, and I realized that he used the word heart over 42 times. Now, I was reading the ESV version, which is a little bit more of a direct translation. Your NIV might not have it 42 times, and I I didn't actually Google this, so I literally just counted and wrote down every single time that it said the word heart, and I came up with 42. So that's not a very specific number. If you're on Jeopardy, you might not be right. I don't know. Um, But that's kind of what I kind of came across in my own study. And I started to say, there's a theme here. Like, what does Jeremiah, why does he talk about the heart so much? He's so concerned about the heart. And I realized that there were several themes of how he talked about the heart. One was that what happened to the hearts of the people was a big kind of like condition of the book. Why are the hearts of the people so far from God? What has happened to their hearts? And so we're going to kind of unpack that this morning. That's really where the book starts, trying to understand where people are coming from. But then he goes on and gives us great insight into the heart of the Lord. And we're going to, over the next couple weeks, we're going to unpack what is the Lord's heart like? What is his heart for his people? What is, what, how does he feel about the pain of his people? So we're going to really unpack that. And then really he talks about also what our hearts were meant to be. And he talks about how they can be restored. So this is like kind of like the, the, the little snapshot of what we're going to do in this series. We're going to follow through the lens of Jeremiah, who lived in very turbulent times, as he kind of acknowledged that our hearts are... Very, very, you know, intriguing things, the depths of the heart. So we're going to really unpack that. Here's the structure of Jeremiah. And this might be boring. I'm going to try to move kind of quickly because some of this is a little biblical. But it's hard to talk about an Old Testament prophet and not give some kind of background, some kind of history. I I geek out over this stuff. I literally cut like 10 slides. So I apologize for all that I left in, all right? So like, um, but this is kind of the structure of it. You know, like the introduction of his ministries in the first chapter. And then from 2 to 25 in the book of Jeremiah, he tells them that judgment is coming on them because of how wicked they have become. And please turn back from your ways. So he really unpacks this. And then right here, oops, let me go back. Um, And then he kind of talks about the promised restoration that would come to Jerusalem someday, that they will be carried off into captivity. This terror is going to happen to them, but there will be restoration one day. And then there's really a narrative that kind of unpacks what actually happened. They kind of walk through the life of Jeremiah, show about what happened in this time, and then there's a little bit of, just for fun, he kind of says, hey, you other countries around here aren't getting it right either. Let me tell you how you're getting it all wrong. And then the conclusion of his ministry. But this is important. Right here is important. Because in the history of Jeremiah, the book was a source of hope in exile. Now, why would a book that is so sad so disparaging, so hard to read, be a source of hope when they were carried off into captivity and living under foreign nations? Well, part of it, you know, all of Jeremiah's words came true. So when they're living in exile and they're living out the exact consequences that he told them would come their way, this is interesting. They go back to this and they say, man, he was dead right about what we should have listened to him. All the things that he said came to pass. But if he's right about that, maybe he's going to be right about this. He promised that this would not be the end of our story. He promised that God would not give up on us. He promised that God would come and bring us back from this foreign nation that we're in. And if he was right, you know, if this is true, just as God had been accurate, faithful, and sovereign over the fall of Jerusalem, God would be accurate, faithful, and sovereign over the redemption. His words proved to be true and gave them validity to say, you have a reason to hope in the God who loves you. So we're going to kind of unpack that. So we're going to start this with a heart that had strayed. And we're going to look at the hearts of the people of Israel. And it starts off, God kind of sends him out to kind of look at the people, to take a hard look at how the people of Israel or, or Judah are living. But before we get into that, a quick recap of where they are in their history. You know, God had intended people to live in direct relationship with him. And we find that, we you know, if any of you were here last year, we did a series on Egypt out of us, where we really packed, unpacked the Exodus. And in that, we kind of talked, we showed how in Egypt, God came to his people who were enslaved, and he called them to be his people again. He wanted them to live in this direct nation relationship, to be his followers. He called them out of Egypt. Pharaoh wouldn't let them go, though, because he had hardness of heart. He had hardened his heart to the words of God. That might come in kind of important later on in the history of Israel, this hardness of heart. So Pharaoh wouldn't let them go, but through miracles and wonders and signs, God brings them out of Egypt. And he brings them into like the, the, like the wilderness. He led his people out of Egypt, and he went about removing Egypt from them, teaching them how to live in a direct, dependent relationship, teaching them how he was to be their God and they were to be his like, people, and how that relationship was supposed to work. And over the course of a couple generations living out in the wilderness, they started to kind of figure out how to live in relationship and in community with God, with God at the center, with his law, where they would actually honor each other. They would treat the aliens and the, the slaves among them with respect, how they were supposed to operate differently than the rest of the world all around. Them, they learned that they he, he you know he brought them into a nation and set them up and they were supposed to be a light to the world. Their nation was supposed to be a city on the hill that would show the rest of the world how they were supposed to live in right relationship with God. And at their very best, they sometimes got this right, but not very often. He gave them the law to live by and a process of restoration for when they fell short. We know that they gave animal sacrifices and things like that, but part of this is because there was a law that they were supposed to live by. There was a way that they were supposed to treat each other. There was a way they were supposed to respect God. There was a way that the world was ordered to work, and if they lived in compliance with that, it would work well for them. And when they fell short, he gave them ways to kind of have, seek out repentance from God and from each other. There was ways to make things right, and the part of the process was, hey, I know you're going to keep messing up, but go and make it right whenever you mess up. Go and make it right. And they had a process of redemption and restoration that they lived in in these cycles, He called leaders who were supposed to be faithful and these prophets who were supposed to call the leaders to account. When the leaders got it wrong, the prophets were supposed to show up and say, you're getting it wrong. And when the people started to stray, they would come and say, we need to turn our hearts back to the Lord. And like a seesaw, they would go off the deep end and they would live poorly and they would respond to the prophets and they would kind of start to get things right for a little bit, but it kind of went this way for a long time. They never kind of lived long getting it right. In the best of times, it was good, though, and it was very good for their nation. At the best of times, they were a bit of a light to the world, but most of the time, Israel wasn't much different than the world around them. They looked just like the world around them. They kind of fell into the same problems and the same corruption and the same hardness of heart that the world around them had, and, at times, and as time wore on, they fell farther and farther from God. They kind of kind of like spiraled till they were even kind of as bad, if not worse, than the nations around them, and it grieved God. So the northern kingdom actually was conquered by Assyria, and in this time, like you know, the kingdom of Jerusalem and Judah held on for about 150 years. There was a good king in that time who repented, and they kind of lived well. But then there was 150 years where they just really went downhill fast. And this is the time that Jeremiah was called in to be a prophet to tell the truth to a leadership that didn't want to hear it, to a people who didn't want to hear it. And he's called to live in this exact time. He's trying to get them to back to the way that they were intended to live. And so this is the context of Jeremiah that we're kind of walking into. And he gives them this, this is the kingdom that he served in. This kingdom was carried off into captivity. It no longer existed. And so what kingdom, what, what kind of condition is Judah in in this time? Like, just to give you a little idea, God gives him a little message. And he says, go out and talk to the people. And if you can, here, <laughs> well, let's just read it. In Jeremiah 5, he says, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem and look around and consider. Search through her squares. If you can find but one person, who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive this city. It's a pretty low bar, right? If we said, "Hey, go out into Towson, and if you can find one person who deals honestly with people and seeks the truth," you would hope that you would say, "I could find like a good list," right? And Jeremiah goes out and he goes up and down the streets and he spends time among the people and he comes back to God and he says, "Yeah, I couldn't find anybody. Like that's not a good condition for the city to be in, right?" So he says, "But, but." I thought, these are only the poor. They're, you know, they're, they're foolish, for they do not know the ways of the Lord, the requirements of their God. So I'll go to the leaders, the, the literate, the people who know the law, and speak to them. Surely they know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. But with one accord, they too had broken off the yoke and torn off the bonds of the relationship that they had with God, and they were living their own way. As one accord, they had done this. He goes on to say, this is what God tells him to go say to the people. Announce this to the descendants of Jacob and proclaim it to Judah. Hear this, you foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Should you not fear me, declares the Lord? Should you not tremble in my presence? I made the sand a boundary for the sea, an everlasting barrier it cannot cross. The waves may roll, but they cannot prevail. They may roar, but they cannot cross it. But these people have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say to themselves, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives autumn and spring rains in season, who assures us of the regular weeks of harvest. Your wrongdoings have kept these away. Your sins have deprived you of good. Go and tell the people, the, the, the evil that you feel, the darkness that you feel, it's out of a product of your own hearts. You have turned from the Lord and you're reaping the, benefit, reaping the rewards of what you have sown and people didn't really want to hear it. But this is the message Jeremiah goes out and carries. Here's the, some words he uses for the condition of their hearts. Stubborn, rebellious. These are the common kind of words that he uses. Here's some other words that he uses for their hearts. Their hearts are evil. He goes on to say their hearts are uncircumcised. What does that mean? Well, the people had circumcised their bodies as a sign that they were loyal to the Lord. But he's saying, but their hearts are a sign that they are not loyal to the Lord. Their hearts look nothing like my heart. They look nothing like my heart. You can't find my heart in the heart of my people. And that's what I put them there, to be a light of the world. They're deceitful. Their hearts are sick. This is the condition of the heart of the people that Jeremiah is going out. And he goes on, God pleads with them to question, ponder things in their heart. He says, consider this in your heart. And they didn't. They wouldn't listen to Jeremiah. Consider in your heart. Their hearts didn't consider, didn't weigh the truth that he brought to them. He also asked them to hold the desolation of the land in their hearts, basically saying, look at the poverty, look at the destruction, look at the hurt that my people are in. Hold that in your heart. Can you feel that? And they're basically saying, it doesn't affect my heart. It doesn't affect my heart anymore. I see the brokenness, but I feel kind of justified in what I'm doing. No, I see the, the pain. But you know what? That's their problem. They brought that on. They're not feeling the the hurt of the people around them. They're not considering or pondering in their heart the condition of their nation. And their hearts have become sick and deceitful and rebellious and stubborn. And man, you can imagine why Jeremiah might have spent his nights crying (laughs) as he pleads with the people to hear the word of God. And this is the condition that he's faced with. The most common phrase that is used in the book of Jeremiah is they follow the stubbornness of their hearts. They followed the stubbornness of their own hearts. Basically, they did whatever they wanted. They let their desires lead them, and they had become stubborn in their ways, and they didn't want anybody to kind of correct them on how they were doing it. So how does a heart become stubborn? I think it's a pretty important question, and that's one that we should really ponder ourselves. I might have got stuck here. If uh... <laughs> Thanks, McCall. Um, well, I think hardening of our hearts happens for several different ways. One is a lack of accountability. There was nobody to call them out on things. The one person who was trying, they weren't listening to, but they weren't calling each other on things. Leaders were patting each other on the back for the conditions that they were kind of creating. There was no one calling them to account. Um, Unrepentance, like when they were confronted with truth, there was no part of them that wanted to turn back from their ways. What repentance means is basically I'm walking this way and God calls me on something and I turn around and change my direction and come back. It means to turn and come back. There was no repentance going on in the nation. They were not changing their ways. They didn't want to hear about changing their ways. They were set. They were stubborn. They were fixed on the direction that they were going. And when we kind of live in unrepentance in our lives, we kind of like justify the direction that we're going instead of kind of hearing something that would call us back. There's a lack of truth going on. You know, they had prophets and they had leaders, and they pat each other on the back. And one of the things that Jeremiah is most hostile to is the prophets of the time, because they would say things like, Yeah, do what you want. God's in it. And he's like, do you know God? Because I know him, and I'm pretty sure he's not in this. And they they didn't want to hear that. There was no truth being told to each other. They were just kind of saying to each other what they wanted to hear. And that was the culture that they kind of created So Jeremiah says this. This is what he says about the leaders. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord. This is what the prophets are saying at the time. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. Hey, you keep doing what you're doing. It's going to work out just fine. I picture this as like the conversations like before the mortgage crash, right? Like in 2000. No, it's cool, man. Keep, we're making money. <laughs> this is good. This is good. Why would we change it up, right? Who knows? No, disaster's coming. Nah, it's never going to catch up to us, right? It's that kind of idea. What we're doing, no, we're getting rich. Sure, it's at the, on the backs of those who were making poor. Sure, we're doing this. This is what's happening in the time of Jerusalem, right? A lot of inequity, and, there's, and the prophets are just kind of patting the people on the back who are doing it. And this is what what God has to say to the prophets. How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own hearts? Even they were following their own hearts. So truth does not kind of exist in their culture anymore. You know, it it, it smacks of things that we can kind of relate to, doesn't it? Is it possible to avoid becoming hard of heart? You know, is it even possible to become this? And let me make some quick clarifications here. Like when I kind of talk about like hardness of heart and sin... Like, I, it does not mean a works based theology. I'm not saying that we can do things to kind of prevent sin entirely. But what I am saying is that, like, we, in Romans 3, it really says it clearly for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like, we are all sinful. I'm not saying that there are some who are righteous and some who are We are all sinful before the Lord. Like, that is not something. So, what I'm, when I'm talking about hardness of heart, I'm talking about, like, even in our sin, God comes to us and calls us to turn around and to set our ways right. But we kind of can create conditions of our heart. We can either be receptive to the voice of God, or we can allow our hearts to kind of continue to get more and more stubborn and more and more set in our ways. So when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about some of us are sinful and some of us are not. I'm talking about we all have a heart that's in process. And we can either choose to keep our hearts receptive to what the Lord is calling us to, or we can actually actively kind of justify our own sin justify our own like, way of looking at the world. We can kind of like, get more entrenched. And so when I'm talking about hardness of heart, and support, I'm not talking about that we're all going to avoid sin. I'm, sa- I'm going to get, get deep, deep into this, but we have a, a choice to either become hard of heart or not. We all stand in need of redemption. That's, so the, and everyone in that nation, even Jeremiah himself, stood in need of redemption. But the hardness of heart... They had a process for forgiveness. They had the whole sacrificial system. They had ways that they were supposed to make things right with their neighbor when they wronged each other. They had ways to do this. They were opting not to do it. They were choosing to live in their sin rather than to kind of be called back to account. They could have kept their accounts short, but they didn't. They could have, when when they messed up, they could have said, I'm sorry. They could have gone and done, made things right. They could have responded quickly to the voice of God that says, you're messing up. You're right, let me set back on this path. But instead, they kind of continue down a trajectory. And this is what's dangerous about continuing down a trajectory that we don't pay attention to. They come to a point where truth did not convict their hearts anymore. Hear that again. They came to a point where truth did not convict their hearts anymore. Do you ever like, feel when you're doing something wrong, you feel guilt? You feel kind of your conscience kicking in, saying, I should really go back and say, I'm sorry, that was messed up that I said that to that person? Oh, it's just traffic. Why did I cut that person off and then tailgate them for you know, a mile? Like, did you ever feel that nagging voice in the back of your head that says, like, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. Like, you know better. You know better. Well, what starts to happen when when you're kind of, like, at a point where truth doesn't convict you anymore? If you ignore the voice over and over, you ignore ignore the voice of God more and more, and you just kind of allow yourself, truth starts to bounce off a little bit more. You start to dull the voice that says, this isn't right. So, you know, the word iniquity is used in Jeremiah as well for sin. And it's, it's a building term. Now, this is, we're going to love, I'm in, I am clearly not a contractor. Here's my idea of a roof and like a roof line, right? And of course, it's green and silver because it's eagle's colors. Because who wouldn't, well, you want a green roof for eagles. Um, but anyway, so like, um, so it's a building term. And it means to be a little bit off at the beginning. You will learn that as bad as I am at graphics, I'm even worse at building. If I was to build something in my house, you would see iniquity all over it, all right? I mean, like, I, mean, I, I can't even say. People kind of ask, we've been rehabbing our house, and people often ask, like, oh, how active have you and Kira been in, like, doing the work yourselves? I'm like, well, I carried these boxes up and down the stairs, like, multiple times. So you could pretty much say I did the whole thing. You know, I mean, like, no, I built nothing in my house. I did not pick up a hammer because I want it to look half-decent when it's done. Um, but iniquity is a building term, and what it really means is to be a little bit off at the beginning, And now, you might build something like that and be like, yeah, it's not that bad. It's just a little bit off. My measurement wasn't quite correct. But here's the thing. If you don't correct it, if you don't go back and kind of like set it right, if you don't repent of placing that thing wrong and you say, nope, that's the line I built and I'm going to keep it going. I feel good about this line. Well, it's going to develop over time. It's way off by the time it gets to the end. Does that make sense? Like, there needs to be correction. And what God has been saying to his people is, your hearts are full of iniquity. You were a little bit off the beginning, but you've not turned around. You've not repented. And a whole generation starts to look like this. Your hearts don't even resemble mine anymore. This isn't the nation that's supposed to be the light of the world. My fingerprints are nowhere on this nation. They would know nothing about me by looking at you. And that's where you're at right now. And I've been telling you to turn around and come back to me so that you can resemble what my life looks like to the whole world. And instead, you just kept on digging, kept on building that roof. And whatever that is, I don't know if it's a gutter, piece of trim, I don't know what it, I don't know what goes, you know, whatever. Something that goes in between a roof and the edge of a house, you know, I don't know. Um, It's way off. It's not where it's supposed to be. You know, this, how does this start to happen in our lives? This happens in our lives all the time. Maybe you're dealing with like unforgiveness with someone in your life, like a parent or like someone who wronged you. And you just kind of, instead of feeling, you, maybe early on you started to feel a little bit of conviction. Like, I should really set things right with them. I should really apologize for my part. Sure, they still did a lot of things wrong, but I should at least try to be in right relationship with this person. But you didn't do it. Time got by. They did something else stupid over Christmas. I really got to put, I mean, and you just kind of dig in and say, I'm going to double down a little bit and say, no, you know, I don't, I don't need this relationship with them. I'm going to dig into my unforgiveness or I'm going to dig into my unrepentance. Maybe you're dealing with something that you know is not right. You're living in some kind of sin and you kind of say, at first you're feeling like, I should probably turn around. I should probably talk to somebody. I should probably get help. But time goes by and it's just easier not to. And I don't want to have to, like, ask for help. I don't want to have to be vulnerable. I don't want to. Have... So we just kind of keep trucking, right? Sin just kind of gets this way of getting in. And here's the thing. Over time, you'll become less and less convicted of that thing that you didn't do right because you are hardening your heart. You are actively hardening your heart to the sin that God's trying to raise your attention to. And you get down here, and all of a sudden, you know, your conscience eventually becomes seared. Like, we have the ability to kind of sear our conscience that sin doesn't even bother us that much anymore. Anybody know someone who just kind of lies as easily as they breathe? And you're like, how did you we might see that in the media, you know, like in in our own politicians. Like, you know, like uh, people who just lie constantly. And you say, how do you become so comfortable with that? Well, you just never get called out on it, and you never have to fix it, and you just kind of double down on it. But this happens all the time in our culture. We do this in our own lives. We're, we're being dishonest if we don't. And we find ourselves one day at the end of that rope saying, how did I, how did I get here? How, why do I not even care? I don't even care that I cause that kind of pain. And at that point, sometimes it doesn't, we don't even want to hear truth. Jeremiah says this, and the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. And then. And again, the Lord said to me, A conspiracy exists among the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. They've gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant that I made with their fathers. They're saying not only did they kind of pick up on their father's sin, but they took it to the next level. You picked up right where your forefathers left off, and you just went farther down the road. What am I to do with you? This is God pleading with his people. What am I to do with you? You are on a trajectory that is going to lead to destruction. And you won't turn back and hear me. So if this is what happens, how do we avoid it? Like how do I avoid having like a stubborn and a hard and a a heart like this? Well, I think there's a few things to keeping a soft heart. First of all, we need to keep short accounts. What do I mean by that? Early on, when you know you've wronged someone... It is important that we create in ourselves the patterns, the systems, the ability to go and say, I'm sorry. Because if we dig into unforgiveness, it'll just grow like a beast that's run rampant in our lives. Other thing about short accounts, when you kind of know that you're off base, you've mishandled something, maybe you were a little dishonest at work in something that you said, you you were just trying to not make yourself look too bad at first. But, man, the lie just kind of keeps growing. It becomes a little bit easier to lie. I'll give you a little example about something so stupid that my wife was really good at, like, calling me out on. I run consistently a little bit late places. Anybody who knows me is, like, rolling their eyes, like, yep. Um, and I try, I want to be better at that. I've worked hard at being better at that. But one of the things that, like, I found myself doing, just, like, commonplace was saying, like, hey, I'm, like, five minutes out. How often do we all send that text five minutes out? How out are you really when you send that text? <laughs> right. So, like, um, I'm, like, usually, I'm, like, five to eight minutes and a parking spot and walking in out, right? I mean, like, that's where I'm at. Like, I'm not, like, five minutes from the spot. I'm, like, if I hit every green light, I could get five minutes, maybe, right? Like, um, through the heart of Baltimore, yeah, that happens all the time. you know, so like, so little things. And, it, but this is interesting because it's just a small thing that we can all relate to. But what did I do? I, I got comfortable kind of saying that, or, hey, I'm parking. Because by the time I send the text and by the time they read it, I will be parking. I'll probably be about parking. And then I'll be on my way in. I don't want to like make them think I'm like 10 minutes out. Like, you know, so like, um, but I started doing this pretty regularly. And Kira Kira comes along, we get married. And I <laughs> literally, I'm want to text and drive. So I'm like, hey, babe, can you send a text that says like, hey, we're five minutes out? Well, no, I'll tell them we're 10. <laughs> well, I like, mean, you can't say five? Like, well, we're not five minutes out. I'm not going to lie. I'm near a text. Ooh, I mean, it's not lying. It's a, no, whoa, whoa, lying. Oh, man, that is brutal. I'm just saying we're a little bit far behind. I'm not lying. I guess if you really, I mean, technically, I'm lying. If I know I'm more than five out. I mean, but, I mean it's not, a, it's, it's a small deal. <laughs> Everybody does it. Everybody does it. I mean, you do it. I do it. We all do it, right? And this is the line of rationale. I'm saying this because it's a stupid thing, but it's kind of a thing, right? And we do this with how many areas of our life? Eh, It's not a big deal at first. And all of a sudden, I can be 15 out, and I'm texting five, and I can be... I might not even park. I might just circle the block, right? I don't know. I mean, like, we, we get to the point that, like, we... We just kind of become comfortable with things, and what we become comfortable with means that we will start to push the edge on the next comfortability, and then we become comfortable with that, and we push the edge on the next comfortability, and this happens. This happens, and if you do that for a lifetime, you can get pretty far off course, and you teach your kids to do the same, and they pick up on right where you left off. How did Israel get where they were over the course of a couple hundred years? A little bit at a time, a little bit at a time where they didn't come back and repent of their ways. So keep short accounts. Be quick to turn around. Be quick to admit, you're right, I messed that up. I'm sorry. I messed that up. I, one thing I had to start saying was like, I, I remember I, one, for me, how this started, hey, I'm five minutes out. Actually, I'm more like 10, sorry. I'm trying to fix it. It's a quick admission. It's a quick, you know what? Let me be real. With you. I, I, I'm sorry. I, just, I don't know why I just lied, about, but Mark and I had this incredible experience where we um, got the privilege of sitting with a, a survivor of human trafficking. And this was one of the most vivid moments that we had of kind of experiencing this. Because part of, like, her, she was telling us her story. And in her story, you know, she's told the story a bunch of times, but there's still this tendency to try to make yourself look a little bit better. And she did this thing where she kind of talked about something that had happened at her house, and then she goes, I'm sorry, let me stop. I just lied. I'm embarrassed by the truth. The truth is this. And we were like, people don't talk like that. That's impressive. Like, what a, what a soft heart to be able to acknowledge immediately, I just did something to make myself look a little bit better, and I don't want to be that person. Whew. That was convicting. That was convicting. To watch her live it was convicting. I want to be that kind of person who says, "Ah, I'm sorry, I'll, let me be honest with you, right? Keep short accounts. When you mess up, be quick to do it. When you have unforgiveness or some kind of broken relationship, don't let that linger for years. Go and make it right. Keep short accounts. Surround yourselves with truth. And this happens on several different ways. Read scripture. It convicts us. It tells us the truth about who God is and what we, who we are in relation to with, with him. Put friends in your lives who are not just going to say, yeah, man, your wife's crazy. <laughs> right? She's always, no. Like, you know, you know Ryan, maybe you're an idiot. <laughs> like, I need people in my life who say that. Like, we need people in our life who say the truth to us. Not to just kind of boys club, pat each other on the back, we all get it right, whatever it is. Like, we need people who speak truth to us. We need truth in our lives in the form of Scripture, in the form of God's voice, in the form of people. And we need to be willing to confess when when we're really off. We need people that we can talk honestly with. We need to be able to go before the Lord and say, my heart has drifted, and I need your forgiveness. I need you to set me back on course, Lord. These are the antidotes to developing a hardness of heart. You know, in Romans it says, or do you presume that the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God is so kind and he's kind to us because he wants us to turn and come back. But because of your hard and impenetrant heart, does that sound familiar? This is Paul talking a lot of years later to a different group of people. You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He's saying to them, your hearts can get hard. The reason God is kind with you is because he wants you to come back to be made right with him. You know, a soft heart, a soft heart is trained for obedience. Do you realize when we keep a soft heart, when we actually like, allow our hearts to not become stubborn and set in our own ways, it means we become very receptive to hearing truth. We become very receptive to hearing the voice of God. Our heart becomes, obedience becomes an easy thing for us when we are in a soft and like, available place in our hearts. That kind of heart posture, God says, that heart is ready for me to work with. When we are open to correction, like God... Love someone who's open to correction, who's open to hear his voice to kind of be made right. And when we're willing to forgive others, these are the conditions of a soft heart that God loves to use a soft heart for his glory. He loves to use a soft heart when we're willing to forgive others for things. If you have not experienced, if your heart is so hard that you're not willing to kind of like seek out forgiveness from the Lord, you are not gonna be good at forgiving other people. You're hard on yourself, you're stubborn in your own heart, you're unwilling to repent, you're going to hold other people to some pretty heavy standards. So what if, my, what if you're sitting here this morning and be like, you know what, I feel like my heart's actually become pretty calloused. There were things that I used to do that, man, it really bothered me early on. My, and now I feel like my conscience doesn't speak up that much. Like, what do I do if I'm in a place where my heart, heart is hard? Well, I'd say there's a few different things. You know, this is one of the things that God, that Jeremiah says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is, in, is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water and sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds." How do we kind of break up a callous heart? Well, first of all, plant yourself by the Lord and allow him to search your heart. You know, it's interesting to me, like David, who is kind of deep in his own sin, begs the Lord to search his heart and to know him and to make him right. Breaking the callousness, the first step is to notice when your heart has grown hard and to bring that before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm dealing with like hardness of heart in this area. Like I know That like we've been in this bickering relationship with like my parent or like my friend from whatever and I feel myself not even caring that the relationship's damaged anymore. That's some hardness of heart setting in, right? What does it mean to go before the Lord and say, Lord, break up that callousness and let me feel that burden for them again. Let me feel their pain of what they're going through. Lord, break up the callousness of my heart. Invite someone in. Talk to someone about this. Sometimes we need perspective. If you have people who give you like, truth in your life, process these areas where you feel like your heart's become hard. And I would recommend go to counseling if that's helpful for you because sometimes these things are deeply rooted. Why do I react the way I do? Because of just training myself for years to protect myself. And that sheds. It kind of reveals itself as a hardness of heart. But it's really like we, we man, we dig in patterns and habits, don't we? That, and it's built to protect ourselves. And sometimes we need to get to the root of what are we trying to protect ourselves from? What are we so afraid of that we're afraid to have a soft heart? We build up our hearts to because, man, nobody's gonna hurt me again. That's not a healthy way to live. We need to unpack those things. And guys, prayer. The one person who can give you a new heart, and we're gonna get into this in this series. I know this, this was kind of heavy. I'm sorry. I kicked off the new year talking about your hardness of heart, right? Like, thanks, Ryan. Um, Jeremiah has a lot of hope and a lot of redemption and a lot of restoration, and we're going to talk about what, he, what God's plan for our hearts is. He doesn't want to leave us with a sick and deceitful and broken heart. That's not the condition he wants for us. He has a plan. Where are you going to find that plan? In communion with the Father. Let him be the voice that communicates with your heart. Go to the heart Lord in prayer. We have a prayer Sunday this morning, and when we start worshiping, you are invited to walk down this hallway and to join us in the sanctuary. There are people who will pray for you. If you're feeling convicted this morning, like, I need the Lord to break up the callousness of my heart in these areas. I wish somebody would pray for me about that. You can do that, like, in five minutes. Like, you don't have to wait very long. But have someone pray for you. Pray about these things. Journal about them. Consistently lay these things before the Lord. Don't let your heart just continue to harden because here's the thing it's going to move in a direction. It's either going to move farther into hardness or you're going to start to break up that callousness. It's going to start to become softer. But it's not just going to kind of like coast, it's going to go one way or the other. Ask people to pray for you over the hardness of heart. Invite people into that. Pray about it yourself. Bring your heart before the Lord and ask Him to break up the callousness that's there. Just a few questions for you this morning as the worship team comes back up. Is there a part of your heart that has grown hard? It might be in a relationship with somebody. It might be something that you know you're doing that's kind of wrong, but you just don't feel like changing. The work of changing, it seems harder than the work of just kind of continuing. Is there an area of your heart that you feel like has grown hard? Lay that before the Lord. And then what do you need to soften it? This is something just a process. Do you need confession? Do you need to talk to somebody honestly about it? Do you need prayer? Someone else to pray for you over that? Do you need maybe to go counseling, to unpack, why do, I, why do I act in such a defensive way? Why is my heart so angry when these things happen? Is there somebody that you need to forgive? I'll say this. If you have unforgiveness going on in your heart, it affects everything else. It just does. What's going on in your heart this morning um, as the worship team starts to play, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. And then feel free. We have, this is a prayer Sunday, so feel free to go down the hallway. To There are people who are willing to pray for you about anything, not just hardness of heart, but anything that you might have a concern for. Uh, but pray with me. Lord God, I just confess myself how easy it is for my heart to grow hard and how easy it is for my heart to be calloused. Lord, I don't want to live that way. And I know that we in this room don't want to live that way. Lord, we've learned to make our hearts hard to protect ourselves. But Father, that's not what you intended for us. Lord, I pray that you would come and break up the areas of hardness in our, life, in our hearts. Help us to have a soft heart, especially towards you, that we'd be willing to hear your voice, quick to turn around when we are living poorly, quick to hear the correction that we need. Lord, that we would hear the voice of the people who we love, that call us to things, that ask us to... who calls to repent. Lord, that we need restored relationship. And Lord, I want to have a soft heart towards the way I see the world. I want to see the world the way you see the world. I want to be able to ponder things in my heart and feel the brokenness of my nation. Lord, I don't want my heart to grow callous and hard. And I pray that over everyone in this room, that we wouldn't grow callous, hard hearts, but that we would have the courage to keep our hearts soft before you. Lord, I pray for anyone who's struggling with just hardness of heart this morning that you would speak to them where they're at. Lead them to just ask for help if that's what they need. Lead them to just um, take a step towards breaking up that callousness. In Jesus' name.